on Gerika on SAFM. Along with the sound of my water bottle falling down. All right, serious topic here, and it's something we brought up a little while ago. Uh, researcher at the Wits University and gender-based violence activist Lisa Vetten says there are several complex reasons for the rising number of teenage pregnancies in South Africa. We spoke about this over the last couple of weeks. Over 100 teenagers gave birth on Christmas and New Year's Day. The figures that the National Health Department have released have raised alarm bells for health, uh, local health care authorities and I'm hopefully the police authorities as well. Let's talk to Lisa Vetten, researcher from Wits University and gender-based violence activist. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Are there, have you found reasons why South Africa seems to have so many teenage pregnancies? Well, there are a couple, and I think it's useful to always look at them over time because that's when you pick up when new and unexpected intervening events have happened Mm. versus something that's just an underlying trend. So I think, and this is drawing on analysis of the Department of Health data that was recently published in the South African Medical Journal. A very significant explanation for the increase in the last two years possibly carrying over into this year as well, was, of course, the lockdown. The lockdown meant that many adolescent girls could not possibly go and obtain their contraceptive treatments regularly, and so they ended up skipping um, being able to take birth control. There is also a very clear impact from termination of pregnancy services. So in Pumalanga, for instance, which in a year would produce, say, it would do about just over a thousand um, terminations for adolescents, that dropped to just over just, to just over 300 during the lockdown. Sure. So those would be some of the unusual and unexpected events that, um, that, had, that, that had an impact. But you've also got to take into account the fact that, and you can see this very definitely in Mpumalanga. Mpumalanga has um, recorded some of the highest increases in teenage pregnancy in South Africa since about 2015. But the reason for that, which the Department of Health is quite clear about, is that there have been quite serious difficulties in getting contraceptives to clinics. So that's had a real impact on teenagers being able to control their um, fertility. Mm. And then, of course, when we're talking, the group we need to really, really be paying attention to are the girls between 10 to 15 years old. Um, between t- 10 and 11 year olds are not considered capable of, gi- of, of giving consent. If they're pregnant at a- that age, they very clearly have been raped and there has to be a police investigation in those circumstances. When you're dealing with a 12 to 15 year old, the situation is somewhat different. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that if the father, if there's no more than a two year difference between the mother and the father, say a 12 year old and a 14 year old, you're not going to prosecute that. You are going to look at other things like um, diversion or programs, but you're not going to prosecute. The minute the difference in age is more than two years, you will then either be looking at statutory rape or rape if it was was not consensual. Mm. So you've got a couple of quite complicated and different things going on here. Uh, yeah, let's break it down. Uh, what, uh, there, there was one other issue that you didn't raise now. are mm-hmm. uh, Clinics where the nurses don't want to help young girls. Yes, and this has been a very long-standing problem, um, and especially once you start getting into smaller areas where nurses may well know young women's mothers, mm. and, their mothers may not, and they may not want their mother to know that they are having sex, and then they can't go to the clinic because their mother's friend works there. And I think there is a very much a broader problem around um, the lack of adolescent-friendly services. You know, there's, a, there's often an, an attitude that you shouldn't know about these things. It's none of your business. You're a bad girl. You ought to be staying at home mm. and concentrating on school. 
So I think those kinds of barriers, and I think we all read regularly about how badly pregnant women can sometimes be treated um, when they give birth. You know, we've read accounts of them being slapped, told to push harder. I'm sure you may, your listeners may or may not be aware of the term obstetric violence, but that's the term hmm. that's used for this. Wow. And it becomes even worse, I think, in relation to adolescent girls when you add that element of judgment. Mm. What about education? What is the current state of school education, if there's a curriculum, mm. for young girls? And as you said, it has to start at the age of 10. Yes. Uh, in theory, schools are supposed to be offering life orientation, which looks at sex education. I think far too much sex education tends to reduce sex to issues of the, techni- the techniques and technologies of biology. It doesn't talk about the complexities of adolescence, about relationships, how do you deal with coercion, how do you deal with peer pressure, how do you deal with not being sure what you want to do. And often I think that's because teachers themselves may be uncomfortable teaching that. They may, whatever the curriculum says, they may feel that teenagers should not have this kind of knowledge. Um, and they may themselves be acutely uncomfortable discussing mm. um, sex. Mm. So, you know, that also adds to the problem. So it's more than just a medical problem. It's also a social problem. Yes. Uh, part of what you're saying there is sex is still quite taboo in a variety of cultures in South Africa. Oh, very much so. I mean, you're also a very religious country, and yeah. I think there's a great deal of opposition on those grounds as well. What about boys? It's all very well talking about the girls. They've got to deal mm. with it for the rest of their life. What is What do girl, uh, the boys get from all of this? You know, I think there does need to be very much greater emphasis on boys. I mean, there have been some interesting programs in the U.S., for instance, which uh, work with young with young men around sometimes even doing things like looking after a doll or yes. whatever it may be, just to give them some sense of the responsibility that's now entailed. And there do need to be very active efforts made, I think, to ensure that fathers and the families. I mean, if he's still at school, obviously he's not going to be able to support his child, but his family should most definitely be supporting mm. And there does need to be, I think, a whole lot of education that does start to shift the idea that children, that, you know, adolescent girls have these miraculous conceptions. Their babies just arrived. There mm. is no father. So that's quite clearly does need to be addressed in terms of education as well. Uh, as we started speaking, Lisa Vetton, one of the things that comes up is, is mothers are getting pregnant on purpose so that they can get their social grants. Have you found anything about that? There's really no evidence for that. I mean, people have looked at it, tried to look at it quite extensively. They've tried to see if increases in teenage pregnancy coincide with the introduction of grants, for example. And that doesn't seem to be the case at all. There's no evidence of that. In fact, the evidence of the grant is actually very good. It seems to suggest that it keeps girls in school much longer, for example, and their mothers can help keep their children in school. Right. So the, the, the evidence is, is, is good. That the, that the social grants support many other positive social benefits. Okay, so if, if lockdown and, and, as you said, the clinics uh, are the issue, are we going to see a, a decline in the numbers over the next couple of years as, as we go back to normality? We could see some decline. I mean, I think what you've also got to start thinking about is, I think the consequences for those young women who may have dropped out of school during the lockdown what their prospects are. Mm. I mean, that may be one of the other factors that has played a role in um, increasing pregnancy as well with closure of schools and also, I think, the impact on, on someone's future. So there's that taken into account. But things like clinics stock out of contraceptives, 
That is a perennial problem, which is clearly not being addressed effectively and is worse in some provinces than in others. I think what's also great, what's, what also needs to be an issue is, I think, obviously looking at access to termination of pregnancy services. We need to also look at a, a much bigger push at um, adolescent-friendly youth clinics. But I think there has to be a focus on specific provinces. So Northern Cape, for instance, has for a number of years had some of the highest, has had the highest rate of pregnancies of girls aged 10 to 14 before COVID. That's now been, they've now been overtaken by KwaZulu-Natal and Pumalanga and Eastern Cape. But I mean, we need to look at those four provinces where pregnancies are, where girls are falling pregnant young and understanding what's happening there. Mm. That's not happening in other provinces. Mm. I mean, Gauteng, for instance, has a lower rate of teenage pregnancy than other provinces. So obviously there are other dynamics pushing and pulling the rate of teenage pregnancy, and we need to understand those in order to do constructive things, as in Pumalanga, by ensuring that termination of pregnancy services are available, as well as that clinic lockout no longer happens. That's why we have researchers like you, Lisa Vetten, you see. Uh, when, when we spoke to the Department of Health, they were talking about those adolescent-friendly clinics, and uh, mm. they're, they're making a point of getting those. One of the questions I did ask was availability of contraception, and I know parents would will hate me, but should there be condoms in schools? Hmm, that's... <laughs> you know, I think... School leavers have, the schools have to, up until the age of 17 and 18 years old. You know, from the age of 16 onwards, you are considered capable of giving consent. So, you know, it's not necessarily an invitation to um, sex to have condoms available. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the research that has been done has suggested that if you give young people good information, that does play a role in actually delaying sexual activity. So I think it's trying to look at doing something like that um, in order to make sex a little less mysterious and a little less taboo and a little less interesting. Mm. So I think about if you, you could have that, but I think as long as it went hand in hand, it was really good, Edu- open and comfortable sex education. Okay, so the information they're getting about condoms will be as good as the education about sex. It's not this thing that, you, that you've seen on the internet. Exactly, and I think it's also got to, of course, go hand in hand with information about relationships. I think right. we often underestimate the extent to which, you know, even at 14 and 15 years old, girls might be in relationships, so they are being smacked around by their boyfriends. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to recognize that and think about how do we address um, violence against adolescent girls, because that, of course, is another driver of, of teenage pregnancy. One piece of research we do have suggests yeah. it's the third most common contributor to teenage pregnancy. So there's, again, a need to recognize that young people do have relationships and they need to help understand coercion, peer pressure, and how to deal with that. And that's may need to use different ways of doing that, which might use peers rather than always adults, for instance. Mm. But there's got to be different ways in which to reach young people. Uh, what about uh, sugar daddies? Yes, they remain a perennial problem. And here again, I think one needs to put that in a social context. And again, you know, one does worry in the aftermath of um, COVID in particular and the impact it's had on our economy, what that may do into driving transactional relationships. Um, so again, an issue, but you can't take it out of a broader social context and trying to understand what might help right. um, reduce it. And I must say, there has been some research in the child support grants that suggests 
that making them available also helps reduce the uh, the the push uh, or reliance on transactional sex because there has been an alternative provided. What I'm hearing, Lisa Vetten, and holistically what you're talking about is it comes down to education and financial struggles. The the poor of the poor are struggling because they see this as a way to make money with the sugar daddies, maybe get into a relationship and get them out of the difficult place where they are at the moment. Well, it's not, it may not even be that. There may even be pressure from their families. But I think it's also about us being a little less judgmental about why it is that people end up in the circumstances they do and realizing that they're often in exceptionally difficult social circumstances. So rather than pointing fingers at individuals, what is it? What is the challenge of this to the Department of Social Development, for example, around providing good social services? What are the challenges to the Department of Health in relation to um, health services? What are the relations to the Department of Education? So it's about looking, I think, at really good, comprehensive social support that is, as far as possible, helpful and understanding rather than judgmental and blaming. Lisa Vetten, researcher from Wits University and gender-based violence activist. Thank you very much for joining us, giving some of the reasons why teenagers are getting pregnant, why we've seen that increase. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think towards the end of what she was saying there is not these individual approaches. It's not just the Department of Health that have to do it. The Department of Health and uh, Depart- or the security cluster and the education cluster, they all have to work together to be able to solve some of these massive problems.